reading is Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 to 32. Ephesians 4, 17. So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity and they are full of greed. That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught, with regard to your former way of life, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbour, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. This is the word of the Lord. Well, you might like to have that passage open in front of you from Ephesians chapter 4 as we come to the end of that chapter this morning and we look at that together. But let's pray. Gracious Father, we again thank you for your word and we ask now that you continue to teach us from it. Help us to understand more clearly things about you, things about us as your people and the way in which we continue to be able to live in such ways that bring you honour and glory. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, when you look at the church, when you look at people, or say, when you look at Zambanis, what do people see when they look at our church? Are we a church that lives and behaves in a way that stands out and reflects the new life and unity that we have together in Christ? Or do we live and behave in a way that is, well, basically no different from the rest of the world around us? J.B. Phillips, 
in his book that's uh, entitled Your God is Too Small, said that when the church becomes more worldly, it's hard to see the difference between the two. And he actually wrote that 62 years ago now. Wow. We have another saying, don't we, that if it looks like a duck, sorry, if it talks like a duck, walks like a duck, it is a duck. In Ephesians 4, Paul teaches that when God pours out his spirit uh, upon us, when he lavishes all these spiritual blessings on us, it should have a direct impact on the way we live our lives. The way we live, the things we say, the way that we make a difference in the world will reflect what it is that fills your heart and your mind. In verse 17, Paul says, So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord. Hey, what we have here in this passage is not just something that Paul reflects on, you know, from his own ideas and perspectives. What we have here is something that comes with the authority of Jesus himself. And that means that this is not something that's optional for us as Christians. This is a must for those who are in Jesus Christ and therefore in his church. Paul is very emphatic. Uh, emphatic. <laughs> em- oh, I can't say. He's got a lot of emphasis here, hasn't he? Yeah. Paul has spent the first half of his letter insisting that each and every Christian believer has begun a new life, has been born again, as Jesus would put it in John chapter 3. Or as Paul puts it back in chapter 2, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions and sin. It is by grace you have been saved. When a Christian believer confesses their faith and trust in Jesus Christ as their Saviour and Lord, that is when they are born again. And a transformation takes place within them. You see, salvation is not just a matter of improving or somehow perfecting what has previously existed. It's a total transformation. The New Testament speaks of Christians having a new mind, a new will, a new heart, a new inheritance, a new relationship, new power, new knowledge, new wisdom, new perception, new understanding, new righteousness new love, new desire, new citizenship and many other new things. That's really all summed up in a newness of life. When we come to Christ, we become a new creation or a new creature. Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 5 that the old has gone. Did you get that? The old has gone and the new has come. It's not simply that a person receives something new, but that person becomes something new. The new nature is not added to the old nature. It replaces it. The old self dies and the new self lives. And the old and the new natures do not coexist. The new replaces the old. No longer the corrupted person, but now the new person, created in righteousness and holiness, awaiting our full salvation. 
And without that total transformation, the Christian life has not begun. In and through Christ, we are a new creation. The old has gone full stop. We already are a new creation, having a new mind, a new heart, and and so on. And based on that undeniable truth, Paul makes us, or Paul gives us, two challenges, if you like, in Ephesians chapter 4. We've already looked at the first of those back in verse 1 of the chapter. And that is to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. And a second one comes in our passage this morning where Paul concentrates or, rather, sorry, doesn't concentrate, he contrasts the life of a non-Christian and the unbelieving world with the lifestyle of those who have been united together as the body of Christ. God has created this marvellous new identity within the world called the church. And because of this unique creation and its unique character of humility, its unique empowerment with spiritual gifts, its unique unity together and its need to grow and build up itself in love, here then is how every Christian should live as a member of that church. And Paul is insistent, yep, that our transformed nature demands transformed behaviour. New life will produce a new lifestyle. And yet the problem is, we live in a world that is darkened in their understanding and excluded from the life of God because of the hardness of their hearts. Look again at verse 17. Paul says, So, or therefore... I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. And the word Gentiles here is simply a reference to to non-Christians, no matter what nationality. Paul says that the the lifestyle of the non-Christian world is one of futility a lifestyle that is basically going nowhere and will end up in nothing. Look at how Paul describes this godless life. He says, you no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality, so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. Hey, take a look at the pattern and behaviour of the world around us, because it's going to take you in the opposite direction of the one in which we are trying to live out in Christ. And it's like Paul is saying, you are fools if you are not aware of that. Now please note that Paul is not being judgmental here when he says these things about the world. But is simply stating what the Bible says about the sinful human nature and the human lifestyle of those who do not know God. And please note that Paul is not talking about the dregs of society here. He's not talking about the most horrible, bad people in the world. And that's how we probably 
heard it as it was read to us earlier, Paul says you must no longer live like this. And that implies this is how we used to live, yeah? Before you came to Christ. In other words, this was me before I came to Christ. This was you before you became a Christian. Back in chapter 2, Paul starts off that chapter and says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world. All of us also lived among them, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. You see, that was the old nature. That was us before God made us alive with Christ. And Paul says, it's all the result of futile thinking. Something about the way that non-Christians think is wrong. Their minds are darkened. They are blinded to the truth. Their lifestyle is self-indulgent. They give themselves over to sensuality, where the only thing that matters is what feels good. You know, they want to seek to do what they want, when they want, and with whom they want. And whether we like it or not, Paul says that's what we once were. And it's where our non-Christian friends and family still are. And let's be frank, this description of the world can be incredibly offensive, yeah? But just because something is offensive doesn't mean that it's not true. Paul says that Christian believers cannot afford to let the world squeeze us into its mould. You must no longer live like that. It's futile and it's, well, it's fruitless. Notice how it's the product of one's mind. That's why Paul says in our reading this morning from Romans 12, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Why? Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good and pleasing and perfect will. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Or as Paul says here in verse 23 of our passage, be made new in the attitude of your minds so that you will no longer be ignorant, so that you will no longer be separated from the life of God. Instead, your minds will be enlightened and you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, perfect and pleasing will. This is an integral part of your new self, being made new in the attitude of your minds. You can't be transformed and at the same time, you know, keep all these old thoughts floating around in your mind. You can't keep living on in those same old ways. And verse 20 says, this comes through knowing Christ. You did not come to know Christ that way. Paul says, you heard Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. When you became a Christian, you started to hear the living voice of Jesus Christ. Remember what Jesus says back in John chapter 10? I am the good shepherd. 
I know my sheep and my sheep know me. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. A couple of Bible scholars like to use an example of a butterfly in this sort of area of thought. A butterfly and how a butterfly would illustrate the great transformation that we experience in Christ. They would say, as a Christian, you're not a caterpillar anymore. You're not a caterpillar anymore, so don't keep crawling around and nibbling on leaves. They would say, no, you've been transformed. You've now become something new and different, so fly. And that great transformation is described in our passage at the end of verse 24. Created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. As we look at the world around us, we see a world that is ignoring its creator. But as Christians, when we look at ourselves, we see a saviour through whom we have been redeemed and reconciled to God and given new life and who is taking us to heaven. And Jesus said no one can snatch us out of his hand. So how we are now to live as God's chosen and redeemed people, as God's adopted children, as those who have been made alive with Christ, Verse 25, therefore each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbour, for we are all members of one body. We must put off the habits and the behaviour of the old nature. There's a scene in uh, one of the newer Star Wars movies where a stormtrooper named Finn leaves the dark side of the Empire and escapes, only to crash on a nearby planet. And as he leaves the crash site and he's walking through the desert, he starts to remove the old stormtrooper's armour or uniform. And he does that piece by piece, leaving, as it were, a trail of his old life behind him. When you came to Christ, your old nature was replaced replaced with a totally new and redeemed and God-centred nature and we need to make sure that we get rid of all that old baggage that's still hanging around, any of those old practices that belong to the old nature and that corrupted nature. We need to get rid of those. Clean up our minds especially. As we said at the beginning, our new life in Christ demands a new lifestyle. Paul says, make sure you don't get sucked in by the world around you. God has called you to live distinctively different lives. So then, live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Paul gives us a number of practical examples of human behaviour, doesn't he? He says, don't be untruthful, don't be sinfully angry or resentful, don't be light-fingered, don't be foul-mouthed and don't be a troublemaker. And in each case, Paul not only tells us about the wrong pattern of behaviour that we've got to try and avoid, he also tells us about the right pattern that we need to pursue. John Stott says here, notice how all these examples that he gives us 
are concerned with relationships. He says, they are all qualities that reflect our unity together in Christ. And the negative behaviours to be avoided are all destroyers of human harmony. So verse 25, Therefore each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbour, for we are all members of one body. In your anger do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. Firstly, we are to be honest and truthful. God's people and his church should be known as those who are honest and reliable, as people whose word can be trusted. We are to speak the truth because we have a personal relationship with the one who is the truth. Ever since the fall back in Genesis chapter 3, lying has been a common part of our sinful human nature, hasn't it? People lie all the time. It just seems to come naturally. We don't teach even our children how to lie, do we? And of course, lying will include exaggeration and cheating, making promises that you can't keep, making up excuses, and maybe just playing straight out and out, not telling the truth. Paul says, lay aside falsehood and speak truthfully. You see, the church cannot function properly if its members shade the truth with one another or they fail to work honestly and lovingly. We cannot effectively minister to one another unless we are able to speak the truth in love to one another. Next, Paul talks about anger. And notice that he does not say that anger itself is sin although there might be a comment he makes further about that. Rather here, he says that, in your anger do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. Paul says, when you get angry, make sure that it's for the right reasons. Make sure it's for the right reasons. We read in scripture how Jesus himself showed anger at some times as he drove those money changers out of the temple and so forth. If you're going to get angry, make sure it's for the right reasons. And that's good advice because most of the time I think we get angry at the, at the wrong times and for the wrong reasons, don't we? And those reasons are usually tied up with us. With us, we get angry because our own personal feelings or pride or our self-image have been interfered with. And that all gets wrapped up in our reactions and it becomes about us. It's a selfish sort of anger. Paul says that we must deal with anger quickly. Don't let the sun go down with you still being angry. And that's interesting advice, especially for married couples and for parents. To allow anger to linger around and to fester for an extended period of time is quite dangerous. Because Paul says you might give Satan what he needs to attack or to undermine your faith and to discourage you 
Don't let Satan get a foothold here. We should remember what James says in his letter, that we should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Next, Paul says, don't be light-fingered. Instead, learn not to take from others, but to give to others. I remember my, I remember my father had this saying, he said, God loves those who help themselves. And then he would say, but God help those who get caught helping themselves. There are many ways that we can steal. Yeah? We can steal from God when we fail to worship him as we ought. We can steal from God when we fail to give him the honour and praise that is due to him, when we fail to bring glory to his name. We can steal from an employer when we don't give them the best of our abilities, when we waste time while we're at work. We steal by taking other people's money and other people's possessions. Maybe when you borrow something and you don't return it. Paul says that as Christians, we need to stop doing that and get a job. Make an honest living, yeah? And yet Paul doesn't say that when you're able to buy, when you do make all that money, then you'll be able to buy things that you crave for and that's good, no. He says, use what you get for the benefit of others. Give to those who are in need. In verse 29, Paul goes on, he says, Don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. Paul says, don't be foul-mouthed, but make sure that everything you say is helpful and constructive to those who hear it. The word for unwholesome here is a Greek word that means rotten, rotten, and refers to things such as vulgar jokes, damaging gossip, spiteful criticism, which all need to be replaced with wholesome language and wholesome words that encourage and strengthen the faith of others. James, in his letter again, makes the point that speech is powerful. Yes, yeah, speech and words are powerful and they can be used either for good or <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> for evil. James says that out of the same mouth can come both praise and cursing. He even goes as far as describing the tongue as being a world of evil and difficult to control. Jesus said that what comes out of our mouths reflect what is in our hearts. And therefore, unwholesome talk does not reflect the new nature that we have in Christ, yeah? 
It's not immediately clear here why Paul introduces the Holy Spirit into the verse, but I think Paul is urging us not to grieve the Holy Spirit of God by continuing to live in such ways that do not testify to or that do not showcase to the world the grace of God that is at work within us through his Spirit, who is the seal, Paul says here, and guarantee of our redemption. And who is the one, of course, who enables us to live out the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. And that fruit of the Spirit should be clearly evident to others. And then Paul finishes the chapter by saying, don't be a troublemaker. Don't be a troublemaker. Instead, he says, be kind to one another. Be tenderhearted and forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. And he lists a number of things there that we need to try and get rid of out of our life. All those negative virtues or, or, or um, emotions things that aren't helpful for building each other up and encouraging one another. And he says our example is to be God himself. And we'll look at that next week as we look at the first part of chapter 5. In chapter 5, verse 1, Paul says, follow God's example. Or as the other, uh, other translations put it, be imitators of God. And yes, we'll think more about that next week. But here we find that the motivation for living out our new lives in Christ is that all of these things are an expression of the character of God. We are to live like this because God is like this. As the body of Christ, we are to live in a manner that is guided and controlled by our head, who is Jesus, and that will bring honour to him. And we are motivated by the Holy Spirit whose task it is to mould us into the image of Christ and who is grieved if that is not happening within us. It's like Paul is saying, if you are a Christian, then act like a Christian. Make sure that you are no longer copying the godless behaviour and lifestyle of the world. Instead, Strive to live out the new life that you already have been given in Christ and try to live it in a way that will bring praise to God's glorious name. As we asked at the start of the passage, when people look at our church, what do they see? Are we a church that lives and behaves in a way that stands out and reflects the life and the unity that we now have in Christ? Or do we live and behave in a way that is basically no different from the rest of the world around us? Let us praise our Lord and God for what he has done for us in our Lord Jesus Christ. And let us pray that God will give us discerning wisdom concerning the way that we should be living our lives, to give us discerning wisdom as we look at our behaviour and how we act with others. Give us discerning wisdom to know the things that we need to change. Let's pray. Our gracious God and Father, we just give you our thanks again for this life you have given us in Christ.
And we thank you that you are a God who does not ask us to do something that we are not capable of doing. And that you indeed have given us your spirit to dwell within us as the energy and the power that we need to live in this way. Father, we pray that you'll help us to be wise in the way we live, that it will bring honour and glory to you. Now, that's not going to be easy. We know that, Father. And we thank you for the strength that you've given us and the power and abilities that you give us to do that. But we also give you thanks that you're our loving God who will forgive us when we fail to do that. When we fail, we pray that you will indeed just bring us to that point of conviction where we can come before you and say sorry and that you will forgive us and then teach us how to live in the right way. And Father, we ask this all through the precious name of your Son, our Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen.